Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our new series, Modern Parables, we're going to be taking Jesus' parables and transposing them into a modern setting. Each week, we will read a parable or narrative from Jesus' life in the Gospels, and then I will tell you a story. These stories will be fiction, just like those that Jesus told. The goal is for you to listen to the story and then draw meaning out of the story in the same way that Jesus expected his audience to draw meaning out of his parables. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading for today comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Let us listen for the word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all this to the leaven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them that told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Easter. Can I do a, he is risen? All right, thanks. I appreciate that. Feels good for me. All right, so we continue on with what we were reading from Luke's Gospel today. <clears throat> this is the road to Emmaus, is what it's commonly known as. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. 
Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to welcome you to our church on this Sunday. This is a wonderful, wonderful day to get together. And it's a wonderful day because we're celebrating something that is so central to the life of our church. Indeed, I would go out on a limb and say that this particular day, Jesus' resurrection, is the reason why the church exists at all. It's the reason why this building you're sitting in right now, why people got together and decided they wanted to build it. It's why 150 years ago, the people who founded this congregation came together in this place. It's the reason why I have given my life to being a pastor and serving the church. But even more important than all of those things, This particular day is the reason why we still remember the name of Jesus of Nazareth more than 2,000 years after he walked on this earth. And this particular day, it's kind of strange when you think about it, because the fact is, do any of you know anyone who's died and then they came back a couple days later and they started talking to you? Anybody? No? If you did, please come and see me. I would love to talk to you about it. It'd be interesting to know what happened. The fact is, this is a very strange day, and you're all coming out for it. And so clearly, there is something here that is important to us. And even though it is so strange and odd, we're willing to come together and celebrate it. And so I want to give you a little bit of context. I want to tell you about how we came to this day. And then I would like to tell you a story. So, to begin, the context. Jesus was born in a small little farming village known as Nazareth. Nazareth contained about a hundred families, and it was located in this larger region known as Galilee. Most of the people who lived in Galilee, they were poor peasants. They lived very, very difficult lives. Many of them could barely afford to eat, and the threat of violence was always only a few steps away from the Roman government. There were Roman soldiers everywhere, all over Galilee, and those soldiers had very little compunction about intimidating the people who lived in Galilee. If you would like a contrast, something for you to understand in our modern world, just think of the south side of Chicago. That's a lot what Galilee was like. You have a lot of people who are in poverty, and the people who live there have a lot of animosity towards the police who have been charged with protecting that area of Chicago. Well, every so often, the tension between the Jewish people and the Roman government, it would boil over 
into protests and revolts against the harsh circumstances in which they found themselves. The people of Galilee, they were looking for a leader, somebody who would raise them out of their circumstances and stop all of their suffering. The commoners referred to this person as the Messiah. I'm sure many of you have heard that word before. It comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which literally means anointed one. That's where it comes from. And it's a reference to this old ancient tradition in the Middle East that when a king was coming to power, what would happen is the king during his coronation ceremony would have oil poured on his head. And that would indicate that the king was now ruling over a particular region. And so the people of Galilee, what they were looking for when they talked about the Messiah was a new king. They wanted somebody who would rise up and who would lead them and take them out of their circumstances. Well, Jesus was not the first person to ever claim to be the Messiah during the first century, although he is the only Messiah from that era who we remember today. And the reason why we remember Jesus as compared with all those other messiahs is because after Jesus' execution by the Roman government, and by the way, all those messiahs were eventually executed by the Roman government, after Jesus' execution, he appeared to his disciples. Now this appearance is commonly referred to as the resurrection. And if you read through the scriptures in the New Testament, you will find that the resurrection is depicted in three different ways. It is not consistent throughout. If you read in what we saw today in the Gospel of Luke, you will see that it is depicted as a bodily resurrection. He's walking around and he has a physical body. He can eat food and do all the things that we do. If you look at the Gospel of John, for instance, though, he's described slightly differently. He's described as a spirit or ghost. He can walk through walls. He can do all the things that we imagine ghosts and spirits are able to do. And then if you go to the Apostle Paul, the man who is responsible for writing all of the letters that we find, or many of the letters that we find in the New Testament, he says that Jesus' resurrection was like a vision where he appeared to hundreds of people at the same time. Now you can take your pick, whichever one you like. If you like one, two, or three of them, you can choose all of them if you like. They're all in there. The point is, is that regardless of which one you pick, this event is why Jesus' movement continued. Unlike every other Messiah out there, after they died, their movements dissolved. But Jesus' movement, it kept going. So clearly, whatever it was that they experienced, it was so profound to them that they wanted to continue on Jesus' movement after his death. And the way that they did this was that they wanted to tell other people about Jesus' teachings. Because if you're going to bring people into the fold, well, you probably got to tell them what Jesus told you, right? Now, Jesus' teachings are very interesting. Because when we think of a teacher, what do we think of? We think of a teacher saying, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And that is how Jesus did things some of the times. But most of the time, he did not do that. In fact, most of the time, his teachings were built into these little stories that were called parables. Now, a parable is a short story that is told with the explicit purpose of illustrating a moral or spiritual lesson. The parables that Jesus told, they were almost always fictional, 
And he rarely gave any further explanation beyond the parable itself. And the reason why is because when a parable is told well, all the hearer needs to do is listen to the parable to take away the meaning. Since January, I have been doing a sermon series called Modern Parables. And each week, I would come in and we would read a parable or a narrative from Jesus' life, like we did today from Luke, and then I would tell a story, a modern parable. These stories were based on what we had read, and if you heard my parable, you should be able to reflect back on the narrative and understand it a little bit better. I don't feel like everybody felt that way, but that was the intent behind the sermon series. And so what I would do is I'd tell the story, and then I would end it. And there was no explanation as to what I wanted you to take away, which was quite frustrating, just like she's frustrated right now. It was quite frustrating to many people in the congregation. And so today happens to be the last story in this series. I know I'm going to hear some amens on that one. But today, I'm going to tell you a story, a modern parable, that I believe encapsulates why Jesus' resurrection more than 2,000 years ago, why that is so important to us today in our modern world. Our story today, it begins on April 13, 1992, in the basement of a hotel in downtown Chicago. On the floor of this basement was a man named Terrence Williams. Terrence Williams was sleeping on that floor. He was passed out. And next to his head was a children's book that once belonged to his daughter, Denise. This children's book is what he used to read to his daughter every night before she would go to bed. And the name of this book was called How Zebras Got Their Stripes. Now, in Africa, there are many, many different fables about how the zebra got its stripes. And this book takes all of those various fables and it puts them together into a singular story. So, for instance, one of the fables talks about how originally the zebra was a white horse that took paint and then painted on the stripes. Another of the stories is that the zebra was shooting through the plains being chased by a leopard. And then eventually to get away from it, it went into the tall grass and the grass was so tall and sharp that it cut up the zebra's shadow and it was on the ground. So the zebra takes the shadow that's all shredded and then wears it as clothing so that it would never leave its shadow behind again. But the one that his daughter Denise loved the most was the fable about the baboon, and the zebra. And the way the fable went is like this. One day, the baboon was down by a watering hole, and he had started a fire next to it, and the zebra comes trotting down to the watering hole and wants a drink of water. But the baboon will not let him drink. And so the zebra kicks the baboon through the air, and the baboon lands on its seat, taking off all the hair on its behind. Now the zebra, of course, as it kicks the baboon, it falls off balance and it falls back into the fire where it burns these stripes onto the white fur that it has. And it gets so scared by all of this that it shoots off into the savanna plains 
where it has been ever since. Now, every time Terrence would read this story to his daughter, Denise, she would just laugh and laugh in the same way that you did. And then he would give her a kiss goodnight, give her a hug, and say, I'll see you in the morning. On this particular day, April 13th, it was the anniversary of his daughter's death. Four years earlier, his daughter had died at six years old from an undiagnosed congenital heart defect. And had that defect been detected earlier, then she would have lived. One day she felt tired, the next day she was in a coma, and by the time they got her to the hospital, there was nothing they could do. Terrence and his wife, Natalie, they were devastated by the death of their child. Both of them had worked very hard to create a good life for their daughter. Terrence especially had a very difficult life growing up, and his goal was to provide her with the childhood that he had never had, and he was successful in doing that. But when she died, both he and his wife, Natalie, they felt as though they were being punished by God for past mistakes. Both of them had made a lot of poor choices when they were growing up, and the grief and the guilt that they felt over this, it burdened them so much that it overshadowed the love that they had for one another, and they ended up divorcing not long after her death. Natalie, she went back to school and she got a degree to become a nurse because she wanted to prevent what happened to her daughter from happening to other children. She didn't want to have other parents to have to go through the same thing that she went through. Terrence, on the other hand, he fell back into bad habits. He started using drugs in order to numb out the pain, and he found himself in and out of prison. He would go out and hustle and score some drugs, and then he would get arrested. He would be sent to jail, then to rehab, and then eventually he'd be let out again to repeat the cycle all over. The night before, April 12th, he had gone out and he had scored some drugs, and then he found his way into the basement of this hotel because the door had been left ajar. And so he found his way in there, and he is up all night using drugs, and eventually he passed out on the cement floor. That morning, he awoke because he felt something cold and wet against his face. And when he opened his eyes, he looked and he saw that the book that used to belong to his daughter was floating in water next to his face. He got up and he looked at the back wall and he could see that there was this massive crack going down the back and there was water pouring out of it. Now what Terrence didn't know is that at that time, right outside of the hotel, there was a group of city workers who were rehabilitating the Kinsey Street Bridge. And they were drilling a pylon into the riverbed, and they had accidentally broken through into an abandoned tunnel that had been used in the early 20th century to transport coal and other goods back and forth across the river. And when they broke through, the water quickly filled up this tunnel, and the tunnel ran parallel to the back wall of this hotel, and it was putting pressure on the back wall, which had all the circuit breakers for the hotel on it. And when he saw the circuit breakers, he grabbed the book, he got up, and he started running for the door, but it was too late. 
because the wall buckled under the pressure and the circuit breakers fell, it hit the water and sent electricity straight through it, it knocked him down, stopped his heart immediately. And the next thing that he knew is that he was looking down over his body, which was face up in the water, and he was concerned that he was going to drown because the water was coming in so quickly. And so he turns around and he looks at this back wall and he assumes that he's going to see this black gaping hole with water pouring out of it. But instead, he sees this brilliantly bright light. And so he starts walking towards this light. He feels compelled to. And he notices that the water, which should be impeding his footsteps, is no longer hindering him. And he walks through the light, and he comes out on the other side, and he enters into this world of total and complete calm. Terence had been a very heavy heroin user for the last four years since his daughter's death, and he noticed that he no longer felt the power of his addiction over him. And, in fact, as he felt it, he felt freer than he had ever been in his entire life. And as he looked at this majestic landscape around him, he saw that there was a figure off in the distance that was walking towards him. And as the figure got closer, he could see that it was his daughter, Denise. And he ran up to her, and he grabbed her in his arms, and he started kissing her. And eventually, his daughter... She took her hand and she put it on her father's cheek. And then she pointed off in the distance. And he turned and he looked. And off in the distance, there were these images floating in front of him. And these images contained scenes of his life. They were all overlapping and mixing together. It was almost like watching scenes from a television show, but it was much more visceral. He could feel all the emotions of the moment. He could feel not only what he was feeling, but what other people were feeling at that point in time. And he thought it was almost as if he was experiencing his whole life in a single instant, but it was more real than it had ever been when he had lived it in the world. He watched as his mother gave birth to him and held him close. He watched as his mother took him home to an apartment that had no heat. He watched as his mother and father argued about bills and money as his father beat him one time when he asked his father for food because he was hungry as a child. He watched as he went out and was surrounded by a group of neighborhood boys who beat him up and stole his bike, a bike for which he had saved for eight months. He watched as his mother succumbed to a drug addiction and that as he and his brother had to go out and fend for themselves, they had to steal from corner stores and gas stations to get by. He watched as a family friend took them in to their house and how he fell in love with their daughter, how he stole a first kiss, and then how he took his first sip of alcohol, his first hit of drugs, and then how a ninth grade teacher sat him down and told him how much potential he had, how he could turn his life around, and how he moved in with this teacher and he worked so hard to get his life on track, to get into college, to meet his wife, Natalie, to have his daughter, Denise, and then to watch her die in that hospital bed. When all of this was over, he noticed that Denise was no longer in his arms, but was now down at his side. And she took him by the hand, and she led him along. And they came to the edge of this 
large canyon. And as they looked down into this canyon, Terence spoke for the first time. And he asked Denise, he said, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why is this life filled with so much tragedy? Why can't we just be here? This place is so wonderful. Why can't we simply come here? Why do we have to live that life in order to be here? And Denise, she was quiet for a moment. She didn't say anything. And then, after a few moments of that silence, she started to speak in the soft tones that he had remembered from when she was alive. And she said, I know it seems unfair, this life that we have to lead on earth. And I know that from your perspective, life has been filled with nothing but hardship. But what you have to appreciate and understand is that you have it backwards. You think you're living that life on earth so that you can come here, but it's the other way around. Every soul here in heaven wants to be in the world because that's where true beauty exists. And as she was speaking, they looked down into that canyon and they could see thousands upon thousands of souls at the bottom of the canyon and they were next to this massive river that was running through it. And it was hard to tell exactly what it was that they were doing down there, but it looked as though they were embracing as if to say goodbye. She continued, every soul here knows that the experience of living in the world is worth the hardship. Every soul, before they re-enter into the physical world, is shown what their life will be. They are given a glimpse of their future. Some souls, like yourself, lead incredibly painful lives. But everybody knows the pain and the difficulty they will be going through. And yet everybody chooses to make the journey. Because human life is a gift. Humans are able to experience a depth of beauty that we cannot experience here. And the reason why is because humans are able to make a positive contribution to the world. Every human can make a small step forward in helping the universe become a place of true goodness and love. And as she said this, scenes from Terence's present and future began to appear in front of him. And in one of those scenes, he could see that there was an ambulance speeding down the streets of Chicago. She said, right now, you are being taken to the emergency room. If you so choose, you can re-enter into the body that you left behind. But if you do, you need to know that you are going to experience some of the most profound suffering you have ever been through in your life as you work to overcome your addiction and get your life back on track. But once you do, once you are on the other side, you will be a piece of inspiration and counsel to those who have walked the same path as you. You will be a man who truly brings love to the world, and you will transform the world in beautiful ways. 
But the question you have to be willing to answer right now is, do you want to go back to that world? And as Terrence stood there, he looked down at his daughter, who he loved and missed so dearly. And then he looked at the scenes playing about his future in front of him. And in those scenes, he could see all of the difficulty he would go through to overcome his drug addiction. He saw how he was going to work very hard to do that, to go and relapse, to go and relapse. And finally, when he made it through, he would be able to help prostitutes, drug addicts, children who had been abandoned. He would be a force of positive change in the world. And so, he looked down at his daughter, he picked her up, he gave her a hug, and he said, I'll go back. And at that moment, the same bright light that had ushered him out of the world, it came again and it was welcoming him back into it. And he turned to his daughter and he said to her, will I remember any of this? And she looked at him with a sad smile and said, no. Like all the other souls here who are shown glimpses of their future, you will not remember your time in this place. But then she whispered something into his ear, and she said, that is all you will remember of your time in this place. Then he gave his daughter a hug, he kissed her one more time, he put her down, and he walked back through the light. And when he woke up, the next thing he knew, he was being worked on by doctors and nurses, and there was all this chaos going on around him, but he could see that one of the nurses working on him was his ex-wife, Natalie. And he motioned to her to tell her what he had just experienced, what he could remember of it, but then a doctor gave him a dose of anesthesia, and he was knocked out. The next thing he knew, he woke up, and he was laying in a hospital bed, and Natalie was next to him, holding his hand. And he looked over on the nightstand next to him, and he saw the children's book that had belonged to his daughter, How Zebras Got Their Stripes. It was propped up, and all the pages, they were all bent and tattered from being in the river water. And then he turned to Natalie, and he said, Denise told me how the zebras got their stripes. She said that when the zebra was born, it didn't have any stripes. But then, with every hardship it suffered, a new stripe appeared on its body. The greater the hardship, the darker the stripe. He said, I told her that I thought that was quite sad. But then she reminded me, it's the stripes that makes the zebra beautiful. Happy Easter, and amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.